You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. The series is entitled Living in the Shadow of the Great King. Living in the Shadow of the Great King. You can argue that Isaiah is about the king. And the three sections of Isaiah, Isaiah 1 to 39, Isaiah 40 to 55, and Isaiah 56 to 66. We are now in the second great section of Isaiah, Isaiah 40 through 55. We'll be preaching through those wonderful passages in Isaiah 53 and 52 and 53 about the suffering servant. Uh, And so this morning's message is entitled, The God of Creation Versus... The idols we create. The God of creation versus the idols we create. It's in Isaiah 44. We're going to be reading the whole chapter. And this church is one of the premier places in Scripture that talks about idolatry. And we need to talk about idolatry because our hearts are idol factories. And I will explain that a little bit more as we continue. The driving question in those first section of the scripture, Isaiah chapters 1 to 39, is who will you trust? The driving question here in this chapter, chapter 44, is who will you worship? Who will you worship? See, the question is not whether you will worship. Because, see, God made you to worship. The question question is who will you worship? So, when God created mankind, Adam and Eve, he created them to worship him. All that means is this. You ready for this? Worship is simply this. It is what you value as most important that you worship. Everybody worships something. Period. That's how you were made. The DNA that was given you, the software with which you were born, is to value something highly, most highly, and that thing you value is what you worship, okay? Now, Adam and Eve valued God as most important, and they worshiped him, and life was good. That's why they call it paradise. Their relationship was good. They were naked and unashamed in the garden. Unashamed. Can you imagine living without shame? Feeling like a failure? Feeling not good enough? Right? But they lived that. Why? Because they worshiped God as they were intended. But something happened. Something happened. They started valuing something as more important than God. Namely, what? Themselves. (laughs) Old Slewfoot came in and said, you don't need to worship God. You can be God, right? Just follow your heart. Yeah, right into hell. At that moment, your worship was corrupted, dear friend. And I'm looking at you. At that moment, your worship was corrupted. Whoa, that's not fair. I wasn't there. Yes, you were. Well, that's not fair of God. Yes, it is, and he's God. The Bible tells us that when Adam and Eve said, I will value myself as more important, my opinion, my desires, my way, my relationships, my bank account. I know they didn't have banks back then, but stay with me. My success, my career, my looks, my happiness. The moment that they valued that as more important than God, 
Their worship was corrupted, and our worship today is corrupted. And what did they receive for their false worship, for their idolatry, for valuing themselves and anything else more important than God? They received the just desserts of their rebellion, death. They died spiritually first, and eventually they died. And every human being since then has been born spiritually dead, and every human being since then has died, and so will you. And because of the idolatrous self-worship or valuing anything more importantly than God, apart from Christ, we will die in judgment, eternal judgment. And it's right that we do. That's what this chapter talks about. This, t- this chapter talks about what we worship. It talks about the idols that we create. All right, so let me, let me see if I can, I can help you with that. Is anybody familiar with the novel Frankenstein? Do you know that it was written in the 1800s? Some would say that that novel Frankenstein was the first in a genre of science fiction. It was written by a young British woman named Mary Shelley. And I think it was published in 1818. Now, you know, you probably have all kinds of ideas about Frankenstein and what that is. And there's been spoofs on it in comedies. But, but the original novel, trust me, it was very dark. It was very tragic. Dr. Victor Frankenstein decided to create a hideous creature, a monster. And eventually, that monster caused Dr. Frankenstein's death. It is, it is a, it's a tragic, tragic story. His creation of this creature in his image ended up killing him. Our creation of the idols in our hearts, not in a laboratory somewhere, but in our hearts, will kill us. And that's why God, out of his mercy, picks a fight with our idols, defeats them, and reminds us of his redemption. And that is the main point of this message. The God who created us, very important, picks a fight with the idols of our creation, reminding us of his redemption. The God who created us, got to start there. Did God create you? Got to answer that question. Picks a fight with the idols of our creation. We, we are, our hearts are idol factories. We're all Dr. Victor Frankenstein. You create hideous creatures called idols in your heart. Oftentimes, the, these, these things that we create aren't bad things. Now, we'll get to that a little bit later. But they are things that we value as more important than God. I'll just give you mine, for example. Success. Immigrant's kid, born here in America, parents from Cuba. Success, man. Success to do well. Is is desiring success and doing well wrong? No. 
This is how insidious our little laboratories of our hearts are in creating these Frankensteins of idols. But when I value success as more important than God, then I will do anything to get that, and that becomes my savior. And I labor in my laboratory to get that. For some of you, it's relationships. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's security. Maybe it's safety. Maybe it's to get whatever. Fill in the blank to be realized. The moment you value it more than God, as more important than God, it becomes your Frankenstein. It becomes your creature. And God loves you so much that he's going to pick a fight with it. You know how he oftentimes will put his finger on it? By denying it to you. What are you most upset about right now? By feeling, having emotions come rising up in you. For some men, let's say it's respect. Respect from your wife. And if you don't get it, the moment that, that thing doesn't start, you will respect me. <laughs> and that, that emotion just rises up. It's great to hit the pause button and say, okay, is that, is that a creature in my heart that I've idolized above God? I've made more important than God. And the reason this is so important is that the very first commandment of God, the very first thing he told Moses to write down was the following. Exodus 20, 2 through 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Why is that the first commandment? Because this is the most important thing. This is at the core of all sin. When we erect these idols, when we create these idols, these monsters in our hearts, and we violate God's command, and apart from Christ, we get the just desserts of that which is death. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. If you can go back to the prop, please. He picks a fight with that idol that we create, the God of our creation, and he defeats that idol. This is why Jesus came to earth as a man, lived the perfect life, worshiped God perfectly, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our rebellion, rose from the dead, gave us his spirit so that he would set us free from these idols. And he reminds us of that in this text. And he reveals his redemption to us in this text. So let's read the text. Isaiah 44. Read along with me, please. Remember, God is writing this text in 700s BC to Israel. They will, this is specifically to Israel in exile in 500 BC in Babylon. They've been evicted from the land. They're in Babylon. They're in exile. They're in chains. Their city has been destroyed. Their temple has been destroyed. And God is writing to them a people that are there because of their idolatry. Because they put other gods before God. So remember that as you read this. This is to encourage them and it's to encourage us. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. 
For I will pour water out on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Now here's in verse 6 is where God picks a fight with the idols that we create. You ready? Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Is there a God besides me? Let that ring in your ear. Functionally, ask yourself that question. There is no rock, I know not why. And now in verses 9 to 20, this is one of the few chapters in the Bible where God is mocking the idol maker. 9 to 20. He is picking the fight big time here. All you who fashion idols are nothing. And the things you delight in, Do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame who fashions a god or cast an idol that is profitable for nothing. Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen, those who make idols, are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. And now he takes us into the idolater's uh, workshop where he's making the idols and he mocks them. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before of it, before it. Verse 16. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. Praise God, he's opening our eyes. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say half of it, he's calling him out here, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? What block, blocks of, woods are you fall, of wood are you falling down before this morning? He, now, verse 20 is key. He, the idolater, we, the Dr. Victor Frankensteins, he feeds on ashes 
A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? And now verse 21 comes salvation, friends. Here's the gospel. You ready? Remember these things, O Jacob. He's talking to his people now. And Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. Once again, I formed you. I created you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten. God will not forget you. He formed you and he created you. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Verse 23, sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. God formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant. Now he's going to confirm the word of a savior coming from Israel, that one day they will go back to the promised land, even though they're in exile. Verse 26, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, remember, Jerusalem's in ruins when this is being read, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited. And of the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins. Hallelujah. Who says to the deep, be dry. I will dry up your rivers. And verse 28's amazing. Amazing. He's gonna say, what's going to happen 200 years later and call out the exact name of the king who's going to do it. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. God is saying, this pagan king, he's my shepherd. And he, Cyrus, shall fulfill my purpose. Who's zooming who here? God is zooming. He's in charge. That's what that means. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built. And of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. See, what God is saying here is, church, return to me. I have redeemed you. Flee your idols and return to me. I have saved you. It addresses the monsters that we create. It addresses the idols of our creation. The God of creation, please put the prop back up there. The God who created us picks a fight with the idols of our creation, reminding us of his redemption. It's exactly what we read here. Those things that we value more as more important than God, what are they for you? I told you mine, success. Probably success and respect right there, neck and neck. For some of you, it's pleasure. Just avoiding pain, peace, control. You gotta have control, man. Money, security, relationships. Is it wrong to want control? No. Self-control is a good thing. Order is a good thing. But when you value that above God, then you've created a monster. Money is a good thing. God gives us money so that we might bless others and support the work of the kingdom. But when you value that above God, it's become a monster. It's an idol. 
Listen, success is a good thing. God has called us to exercise dominion over the earth. He's called us to work hard and have the fruit of our labors, to be as skilled as we can be, to to do the best job you can do. I pray that God give you success in your businesses, in your work, if you're in the healthcare profession, that you're a skilled uh, provider of, of health care, that if you're an administrator, that you're skilled at administration. I pray people look at you and say, I want her to do, to do my human resources because she really gets the job done. I pray that. But if I value that above God, what happens? My identity gets put in what I do rather than whose I am. And that becomes an idol. You see how insidious this can be? So that's why the God who created us picks a fight and wins that fight with the idols of our creation reminding us of his redemption. Point one, God created you. In verses one to five, God is talking to us that he formed us in the womb. He has chosen us as his servant. But here's the point I wanna focus in on. It's in verse three. Look at verse three with me. He has given us his spirit. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. Remember, he's writing this to people that are in the desert. They need water. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. God is going to give us his Holy Spirit. The only way he can give us his Holy Spirit is by giving us life and making us righteous in Christ. This is a picture of the gospel. It's not only a picture of the gospel. I mean, to the people who were reading this in the 500s B.C., it was a picture of blessing for their descendants which was unimaginable for a people who were in exile about to be exterminated by the Babylonians. They would have children and their children would be blessed. In fact, it says that their children would be like willows by a flowing stream, trees by a flowing stream to people that are in a desert in bondage. But what this points to is the greater promise, the promise we see in Ezekiel 36. God says, I will pour out my spirit upon you on those dry bones. I will give, I will pour out my spirit and they will come alive. And it's the promise Jesus fulfilled when he said, when I ascend into heaven, I and the father, the the son and the father will pour out the spirit upon you and give you life. As one commentator said in, in his commentary, I'm not sure if I have this slide or not. We are transformed people in a transformed land for all eternity. That meant a lot to those people in exile, and it should mean a lot to us. As Christians, our identity as God's created children is in Christ. This is what defines us. Yes, I want to be successful. Yes, I want to be financially secure. Yes, I want to have good health. But ultimately, my identity, my security, my blessing is that I'm Christ's. Look at verse 5. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of the Lord. The reason idolatry is so wrong is you give yourself to someone who isn't your creator. And God is saying, listen, they wrote on their hands, the Lord's. The only reason you can write on your hand, the Lord, is because Jesus Christ, the Lord, bore nail prints in his hand. This is the gospel. What's written on your hand? Has Christ cleansed you? 
Do you profess him as your Lord? Do you call yourself by his name? Is your, on your hand is it written, the Lord's? If so, then by grace your identity is firm and your destiny is final in Christ. Therefore, worship God for he created you and he blesses you with his spirit and he seals you for his salvation as his transformed people in a transformed land, the new heavens and the new earth. Point two, God picks a fight with the idols of our creation. Now in verses 6 to 20 is where the fight is really heating up. And God picks this fight with the question in verse 7, who is like me? God asks Israel, who is like me? And, And what he says here in these verses is, I am the first and I am the last. Remember Jesus in Revelation 23 said, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the first and I am the last. What Jesus says to us is this. Who's like me? Who's eternal with no beginning and no end? And then he goes on in these verses to say, who can predict the future 100% accurately? See, in this text written in 700 BC, God says what's going to happen in the 500s BC. Cyrus will send Israel back. And they will rebuild Jerusalem and they will rebuild the temple. And that's exactly what happened. And he's saying, tell me, who can do this? The answer is nobody but God. God can do this. God has you and knows what's going to happen tomorrow. So though you don't, and some of you are very worried about that, God does. So he's saying, don't build an idol to try to hedge against tomorrow and assure your tomorrow. Trust your God who has your tomorrow. Worship him. That's what he's saying to us this morning. And then he goes on and he says, there's nobody like me. I am the rock in verse 8. There's no one like me. But like Dr. Victor Frankenstein... And like these idolaters here in this text, we insist on building our own idols. And in verses 9 to 20, he takes us into their workshop. The first picture is of someone working with iron. They're sweating. They're welding. I can imagine the sparks coming out, even though I I know they didn't have welders back then. But just stay with me. There's heat and there's fire, whatever they had back then. They're working with the iron. And then they're creating this God and they're getting tired And finally, they've created their God and they're bowing down to it. And they're saying, you're going to save me. And they're exhausted. It says that they're fainting. In contrast to Isaiah 40, God says, I never faint. What idols are you making in your workshop? I know the ones I'm making in mine. And you know what? It's exhausting. I just get tired, man. I work on that bad boy. And then suddenly something happens and it gets kicked over. And I'm sweating and I'm hot and I'm thirsty and I'm I'm falling asleep. You know, I'm drooling because I can't stay awake. And then the second picture is, the second workshop is, they go out into a forest and they cut down the very trees created by God. Half of the tree they make into an idol, bow down to it and say, you are the one who's going to deliver me. And the other half they use to warm themselves and cook their food And he says in in verse 20, this amazing phrase, look at verse 20. He feeds on ashes, a deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? They refuse to acknowledge that what's in their right hand, that idol, whether it's of iron, whether it's of wood, is a lie. 
So again, what idol are you building? I, I mean, you're looking at me now thinking, wait, Al, the first commandment, I got it. Back then, they built these crazy idols. We're very sophisticated, right? I mean, we have iPhones, right? <laughs> I mean, we're really, we're smart, right? We figured out a lot of things. No, we're not. Humble yourself, Dr. Frankenstein, because you've got some idols working in your laboratory, and you bow down to, if I'll get this degree, if I get this degree and get this job, this will save me. I will be secure if I could just get this person to like me. Lord, if, if I could just get this relationship right, then I will be saved. Fill in your blank. If I can get the bank account, if I can just get that extra 50000 in the bank account, and if that van would stop breaking down, if that boss would just get off my back, if that person hadn't been so evil and done that to me. Look, I'm not mocking you. It's hard. I get that. Okay? I do. But that's not going to save you. Do you get that? You're as foolish as the person we're laughing at who's cutting a tree down, making half of it into an idol, and eating the ashes of the other half and won't even see that he's... But we all do it, don't we? Oh, you do. And I do too. And I need you to look me in the eyes and say, Hey, Big Al, are you eating any ashes lately? How do they taste? How are, how are those ashes? They taste horribly. But we eat them, don't we? And we think they're going to save us. Oh, friends, if God would leave us there, how sad we would be, right? Well, that's the bad news. Here's the gospel. You ready? Verse 21. Remember these things, oh, Jacob. After mocking the idol makers, after saying, I am God, I'm your creator, I am the one who can predict, not only predict, but I fulfill the future because it's my future. It's history. History is his story. I am the one. Trust me. Then what he says in verse 21 is, remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. And you know what we said to that? I don't care. In our panic, remember from Isaiah 40, in our panic and our dismay, we go and we grab an idol to make us secure. And we're caught red-handed. And Israel is in exile. But look at God's response in verse 22. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud. Though you forgot me, Al, I will not forget you because you're my chosen. And your sins like a mist. Though you bow your knee to whatever idol it is in your heart that you think is going to save you, make you happy, make you secure, and give you what you want. Though you've done that and given your heart to them, committed spiritual adultery, which is a picture in Scripture for idolatry. I'm faithful. I'm going to save you. I'm going to blot out your transgressions. I'm going to blow them away like a mist and give you life and give you life. Notice what it says at the end of verse 22. Return to me for I have redeemed you. This is fulfilled in Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25 on the screen. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. This is how our transgressions are blotted out. That we, might not, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Dr. Victor Frankenstein in the original novel dies 
trying to look for his creature in the Arctic Circle. He's on a ship. He's trying to find this creature because this creature has wreaked havoc. This creature has murdered some of Dr. Frankenstein's family, just like the creatures of our heart murder our family members at the time, marriages, children, situations. And so Dr. Victor Frankenstein is on this ship, and it's stuck in an ice floe in the Arctic Circle, Captain Wellen. And he says, I know this creature's up here. I've seen him. He was a tall, eight-foot creature. And finally, the ice loosens, and the ship is going to return south. And Dr. Victor Frankenstein says, no, I've got to find this creature. Please stay here. And the ship's captain said, no way. So Dr. Frankenstein gets off the ship, and the last anybody sees him is trudging through the ice in the North Pole. And he froze to death and died. We are like that, trudging through life like a bunch of zombies, chasing our idols that will kill us. But thanks be to God, Jesus picked a fight with them and defeated them on the cross. He defeated sin, Satan, conquered death at his resurrection. And we're like these straying sheep shuffling through the Arctic, about to die, about to be frozen to death. And he comes and he gets us and he brings us into the warmth of his salvation. And he calls us to bear witness of that salvation. He calls us to remember who formed us. Verse 24. He calls us to remember that he always confirms his word and fulfills it. Verse 26. And then this incredible verse 28 where he actually tells us exactly what's going to happen over 150 years later that Cyrus will do this and restore the people back to the land. Here's the appeal, church. It's, it's, just, it's simple. There's no one like our God. He formed us and he won't forget us. And he's saying, be done with your idols. I have been merciful to you. It's been by grace alone, by my work alone, and I've called you, I've grabbed you while you're wandering on the, on the Arctic, frozen Arctic tundra, about to be frozen to death, and I've pulled you back in so that that creature of your creation would not be the cause of your death, but I will be the cause of your life. Now, worship me. And it's an ongoing battle every single day. And he ongoingly gives us grace every single day. How can you fight this fight? Well, remember... That's what he says in verse 21. Remember these things, O Jacob. How can you fight this fight? Take some time today and write down what your Savior has done for you. You know, and while you're doing that, write down some of the idols that he has exposed and conquered in your life. Those idols that cause you to live such destructive things in your life. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's addiction to something. Thank him for that. But, oh, friends, it's got to go a little deeper than that. By the power of the Holy Spirit, as you read this text, particularly verses 21 to 28, say, Lord, would you show me what other creations are in my heart? What other monsters lie in my little laboratory, my little idol factory? Ask others to help you. It's the thing you grab at when you get panicked. It's the thing that comes tumbling out of your mouth when you get mad. It's the thing that, that is bubbling in your head when you're by yourself with your thoughts late at night or whenever you're with your, your thoughts. Write it down and then confess what the word says in verse 22. Father, you have blotted out my transgressions like a cloud. You have caused my sins to be gone like a mist. Take time to grieve, finally, over those that you know who are enslaved by idols, who are being pursued by their own creatures, and reach out to them with humble empathy 
and gospel truth that Jesus is better. Let us pray. Worship team, would you join me here in the front? Father, I thank you for your grace this morning. Hard word, Lord, but a good word. Lord, thank you that you would expose the creatures that we create in our little laboratories, these idols, these things that we think will save us. Lord, we confess, we, our hearts are idol factories. We take good things, not bad things, and we elevate them to being more important. We value them more than you, and that's an idol. Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, even now, just help people see what that might be in their life. Lord, Lord, help them to see how you have saved them. You've saved us. When we were wandering off the North Pole ice cap, lost, you came and you found us, as it says in 1 Peter. We were straying and you brought us back. You defeated those idols. You not only picked the fight, but you won the fight on the cross, in the resurrection, in your ascension. And you give us your spirit, Lord, that we might proclaim Jesus is better. Lord, I pray we do that right now. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings.